Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Roger Lawrence. Roger, thanks for joining us all the way on the other side of the planet. You are very welcome, sir. It's good to be here. It's good to uh, catch up with you again. We'll look at you. You got tea delivered right on the spot. So um, you and I had talked, what's it been, maybe six weeks ago. And amazingly, I mean, there's 7.2 billion people on the planet. And um, my son-in-law, you, you actually said your wife babysat my son-in-law when he was a child. I mean, it just that, that is amazing that the world is, is so large and so small at the same time. But tell our listeners a little bit about Roger Lawrence. Yeah, uh, it's a, a long and, and potted story. So I'll, I'll try and give the short version. Uh, born in the UK, grew up in South Africa, left South Africa in my early 20s to go and discover the world because the country had become claustrophobic for me. At the time, I'd been working in uh, IT for probably about four years. I'd been a computer programmer on <coughs> mainframes. Um, I am that old. And I was also a sailor and a scuba diver, and I, I got myself across to the U.S. Um, it turns out my biological father uh, was uh, an American citizen. He actually lived about 40 miles away from where you live now yeah, as well. That's another north. thing we have in common. And uh, met him, uh, spent about six weeks in the U.S. and ended up in the Caribbean for a couple of years where I sailed, dived, worked as a fireman, etc. The usual young person on walkabout things across the Atlantic met and married my wife in East Grinstead, as you met, mentioned. At the time, she had two daughters. We had another two daughters. I got back into IT, worked in the UK for about five years, and then we migrated to Australia some 20 years ago. And I've been here ever since. I've had the fortune to work for companies like Atos, uh, Compaq, Hewlett-Packard, Compaq became Hewlett-Packard, Microsoft, uh, HP again, and I've started and failed a couple of startups. I finished up with HP, uh, became Hewlett Packard Enterprise while I was there the last time, and I was CTO for innovation for Asia Pacific in Japan in enterprise services. And just before HP, Enter HP Enterprise Enterprise Services was spun off to be merged with CSC to become DXC, I uh, left. I negotiated a, a redundancy. I'd kind of done my 30 years in corporate life and I really wanted to make a go at getting an emerging technology startup happening. And the emerging technology that I chose was augmented and virtual reality. So in 2017, so just, un, uh, just over three years ago now, or just on three years ago now, we started Achiever. Myself and my co-founder, my co-founder Nigel is uh, from a health and safety background. So we, our, our company helps organizations solve their toughest training problems using virtual reality. That's essentially our pitch. We, uh, we work both in virtual and augmented reality. And we've done everything from working in construction, doing mobile crane training simulators and signalman simulators, 
to uh, food manufacturing, we've done big commercial deep fat fryers, to fast food retail, we've done burns awareness for Kentucky Fried Chicken, and uh, that's what we do. So, so there you go. That's that's the that's the that's the the two minute version, the, the abbreviated version. Exactly. Yeah, you went through about forty years in the, in the, in a two minute span there. But so I asked you a question when we talked a few weeks ago that that I you clarified for me. So so for our listeners, can you can you explain the difference between say augmented reality and virtual reality? Yeah, and that's a very good question because a lot of people mix these up. Uh, it's a, Think of it as a spectrum. So we'll start with virtual reality because that's the easiest one to explain. Essentially, your eyes and ears are covered up uh, by displays. So you've got, you're wearing a headset and uh, headphones or some form of, of headphones, and you are immersed entirely in a virtual world. Everything around you has been programmed and so you are entirely in a virtual world. Augmented the reality on the other side, uh, on the other side of that spectrum is you're looking through a display, maybe your phone, maybe a heads-up display, and digital information is projected into your line of sight. Now, the thing about augmented reality is that this digital information, it can be something just like text, like a heads-up display that a fighter pilot would have, where mm -hmm. they just see their their aircraft telemetry. But nowadays, uh, it's becoming far more sophisticated and you can actually see virtual objects that respond to physical properties like gravity and light and shadow and um, even interaction in the real world. And, um, and so we, we, if, you, if we go from the spectrum, if you start on the, on the, one, on the one side where you've got augmented reality, which is just some form of text overlay uh, on your line of sight, you go through to kind of a mixed reality where you have virtual objects that interact with, your, with the real world into um, what they call augmented virtuality, where you have real objects projected into your virtual world all the way through to virtual reality where everything is virtual. So, yeah. I, I mean, that, I love the way you kind of explain the, the difference between those two, because it, it is pretty clear to me that, I mean, um, much more so even probably than the first time you explained it, because I, I think I have a better understanding now. But I, I'm curious. So you, you, you mentioned that you have done maybe training for, say, fast food places, like on how to use specific equipment and stuff like that. But I can I can imagine if you, if you're using augmented reality that there is the display that will show like the fryer and show your interaction with that but is there I mean does that is it at such a level now that maybe you can wear gloves that you could actually feel you know have some sense of weight and interaction like a physical interaction as well or is it all just more of a visual interaction as far as augmented reality is concerned Augmented reality, you'd be using your hands. So you'd be interacting with real objects. And I mean, you could, the, 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 let me take a step back. So the short answer to that question is yes, there are companies, uh, there's probably dozens of companies, but there's certainly three or four that we're following with keen interest who are developing gloves that essentially act as exoskeletons, I guess, right. and they put forces on your hands 
the the most famous one has been interviewed by Dustin and Smarter Every Day. They, they're called Haptex, H-A-P-T-X. And they even provide uh, sensations of heat and cold. Mm. Uh, as, you, as you'd imagine, those gloves are very, very expensive yeah. and they are tethered to machines that, because right. they have to be able to flow liquid through them, etc. cetera. Uh, but there are other um, untethered gloves uh, that, that companies are producing and they give you essentially uh, the, the sensation of touch in your hands as well as uh, resistance. And so as you... As your hands, your hands are are both brilliant and dumb at the same time, and they're they're brilliant in as much as just the number of nerve endings that you have and the tension that you can feel on your muscles and ligaments, etc. They're dumb in in as much as you can trick the sensors in your hands and the actuators in your hands to, especially when you you're telling your brain something with your eyes that. The, te- the the forces that they're feeling aren't actually forces from the outside of the fingers, they're forces from the inside of the fingers. So you can imagine some kind of elastic, I guess, pulling on your fingers as you mm-hmm. try and squeeze. And it, in virtual reality, um, or with augmented reality, you're picking up a digital object, whether it's virtual or augmented, you're picking up a digital object, and if it was a ball and you had no tension on your fingers, it would be very squishy. Right. But if it was a steel bar and you had all this tension on your fingers and you're trying to squeeze the steel bar and you can't because the force on the outside of your fingers is stopping your hand from yeah. doing that. And so the, the, the two in combination with each other give you the very real sensation that you're... Um, and the, the thing with, with virtual reality, we do most of our work with virtual reality. And the thing with virtual reality is you don't actually need uh, to have that much in the way of physical sensations to make people feel things. We use a system that uses controllers like this. And these controllers, so this is from the Oculus Quest. And these controllers, for those who who are listening, I'm holding up Oculus Quest controllers. They're they're basically uh, a controller for each hand and they've got a couple of triggers on them and a couple of buttons on them and a joystick, etc. But inside is a little uh, haptic motor. And it essentially gives a buzz or a click and we can program it. There's a, 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 an entry level application, which is a bow and arrow. And between the creaking of the string and the very, very slight buzz on the controller, when you pull, put tension on the bow and arrow, your body believes that you're pulling the string of a bow and you uh-huh. actually get tired. Your, your muscles get tired from pulling the bow and arrow, even though all you're actually doing is separating your hands in space. Is this so, like a magnetic the, technology yeah. of some kind? or No, no, there's no magnets at all. All that's happening is there's a slight buzz on the, on the controller of the string that you're pulling and a creak in your ears. And as you pull it, you can hear the, the string creak and you can just feel this ever so slight. It, it's... But that's it. You're actually there's no tension between your hands at all, and yet you play that game for 15 minutes and you are smashed because <laughs> that your is brain amazing. Tells you so. We we have a there's a, a game called Richie's Plank Experience. We often use it in demonstrations to just demonstrate how the, one of the objections we get is that it's not real or it's not photorealistic enough. Mm-hmm. That it's CGI. It's obviously CGI. Right. It's very 
people have said it's very cartoony, it's not very real. And um, Richie's plank experience, you go up in an elevator, elevator opens, the, there's a plank at the top of this building over a, a city street. It's probably 50 floors up. And the objective is to walk out onto the plank. And even though people are clearly in an office with a virtual reality headset on, probably about 40% of, of um, delegates cannot walk out on the plank. They just can't. It's that they, real. It's that visceral. An experience. Wow. And you don't need fans, you know, to blow wind on people. You don't need, <laughs> you, you can calibrate it to a real plank. So you can actually calibrate the, the program to a real plank on the floor. So people actually step on a plank, but you don't need to do that. Most people, well, not most people, but many, many people cannot walk on the plank. That is amazing. I mean, that just shows how, how real, I mean, your, your mind thinks that the experience is, I mean, um, I, it, it is crazy. I, this is a little bit of a segue here, but I, I went to a security training, you know, okay. and, and I knew it was fake. I knew the entire experience, whether it was kidnapping or being, you know, confined yeah. in a, in a closet or whatever they were doing to kind of, you know, make this experience real. It, it had, it took on a, a such intensity, even though I knew the entire time that we were just being yeah. trained that it was yeah. amazing and how real the experience was. I mean, even in when you knew completely that, 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 that was not, you know, you're the end of the next day, it was going to be over and you're going to be done with the weekend or whatever. But it was amazing how real that became just by being exposed to, you know, certain out, external stimuli and, and, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. So I imagine yeah, it's a, abs- a similar, similar story. We, <clears throat> everything from we, uh, uh, Mobile Crane Training Simulator was the very first product that we did. And we've shortened the time that people feel comfortable operating a crane from, you know, hours over a couple of days to hours or even minutes within a day. Because even though you're using virtual controllers, you you are operating a crane and you are operating it. And so when you get into the real crane, you know how everything works. You've actually got muscle memory and how much pressure to put on different controllers yeah. so that you can slow the slow the slew down or you can, you know, make sure that you don't shock load the boom and things like that. Um, all the way through to we're looking at doing a program for um, disability services uh, for managing actual and potential aggression. And we have to be careful that when we program the application, the experience, that we don't actually give people PTSD. Mm. Because we can do that. We can totally make it so that somebody is coming at you with a knife or a gun or, yeah. or whatever. And it is real enough for people to actually suffer trauma in the experience. So we have to program these experiences with increased exposure and, and also uh, decreasing psychological state afterwards, making sure that people are very aware that it's a training experience, that it's not you know, a real experience. That's amazing. Is there, do you see applications for like physical therapy or occupational therapy, you know, in, in a, 
I mean, is there is that a possibility of, of using an, an augmented reality for people to do therapy on their own type thing? I mean, if you can trick your brain into into you know the sensation of drawing a bow, I can imagine you can you could do virtual exercises, things like that. You know that that would be led to. You know, yeah, do you see an application yeah. for that? Uh, you're asking the wrong person as to whether I see an application for augmented or virtual reality because I see applications for AR and VR all <laughs> over the place, <laughs> all the time. So the, again, the short answer is yes. The, the longer answer is a little bit more nuanced. We, we uh, actually had this conversation with a, a client yesterday. They, they're looking at putting a new pie factory, pie making factory. This is a a client in um, New Zealand. And they were really questioning the value of, again, virtual reality training, considering the very few number of people they need to train. Mm -hmm. And so they were questioning that the value of VR versus just YouTube video, for example, or, or, you know, PowerPoint presentation, instructor-led training. And the value comes in in three areas. Yeah, it, this is kind of where we, we, we basically go, it's really high cost, high risk, and high complexity. Um, there's great um, opportunity for AR or VR. For virtual reality specifically, three areas of complexity. The first one is anything that you need to do that is practical, where you need to develop muscle memory. Could be operating a machine, driving a vehicle, uh, going through some kind of process, um, as you say, some kind of exercise routine, um, responding to different physical stimuli, anything where you need to use your hands, your arms, your legs, move about and move in a sequence of steps that you want to remember. Um, the analogy that I gave to the guy was, you know, you could take Jimi Hendrix playing the guitar to you on video and you could watch it for 20 years and still never learn to play the guitar because yep. you have to pick up a guitar and play it yep. and get muscle memory in your fingers. And, and this is the same for, again, operating a vehicle, you know, operating a machine, etc. So, So wherever there is that I am going to be doing something with my body um, in space, uh, with movement and I need muscle memory, VR is, VR is much, much better uh, medium for people to, to learn and to train because they literally immerse themselves in the experience. Right. The, right. Second, the second area is spatial orientation. So anytime you have to be aware of things happening around you, whether they're moving or still, whether you're moving or still, again, virtual reality is really good for that. And really, really good because we just take the cost and risk right out of the situation. You know, you could learn to navigate a boat through a busy harbor without having a $50 million ship exactly. and all the vehicles in the harbor and right, everything else. Right, putting other people at right? risk. And, yeah, exactly. Right. And yeah. so, so that's the second one. And then the third one is anything with interpersonal skills. This one's far more nuanced, but one of the things that we can do in virtual reality is we can we use a, a, an attribute we call alterity. We can actually put you in the body of someone or something else. So uh, the example that I often use is <clears throat> um, if you're six foot four, even if you're doing role play, 
you will never look up to somebody. You will always be looking down to somebody. In virtual reality, I can make you five foot two. Mm. And instead of being a man, I can make you a woman. And instead of being Caucasian, I can make you African-American. I can make you a five foot two African-American woman in a meeting. And suddenly you will have this awareness of how people ignore you, talk down to you, talk over you. And you can't do that. Even in a role play, you can't do that because you will always be that white six foot four guy yeah. looking down on somebody else. And so, so those are the three areas, muscle memory, anything to do with muscle memory, anything to do with spatial awareness and anything to do with interpersonal awareness. Virtual reality is pretty much the only medium that can overcome those things in terms of training, everything else, even face to face um, role play, which has been the gold standard up to now is can't come close. When it comes to augmented reality, we can do things with real objects. So imagine something like fire extinguisher training. The problem with fire extinguisher training is you don't want to set anything on fire in your office. So with an augmented reality headset on something like a Microsoft HoloLens or a Magic Leap, I can make a fire um, start in your office, in your computer, and you can pick up a real fire extinguisher and I can make it so um, virtual foam comes out of the fire extinguisher nozzle when you pull the trigger. And so we can use augmented reality with real objects, giving you the, the feel of the weight and also the context of your actual office mm -hmm. around you and, you know, people and screaming and noise and everything else. And we can, we can put virtual artifacts in place. Be careful. You may, you may, you may trigger my PTSD if you set my office on fire and have people screaming around yeah. me. So, well, there is that. There is that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I was laughing when you were, you were saying, you know, I'm the wrong person to ask. I mean, it reminded me of that old adage that said, you know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you know, it's, yeah, the, yeah, it's the exactly the quote that came to my mind, but I, I want to, I want a real quick, Quick response on this one, but and because I've got a, a follow up that I really want to drill down on, just prime, you know, really around kind of the COVID nineteen and coronavirus and the current state of, of business. But I've, I'm curious, just on a completely unrelated note, what do you think? You know, let's let's dream five years from now. What what are are VR and AR going to look like in five years in your in your estimation? AR is the the um, dark horse of that discussion. We've been believing for years now that we're going to, everybody's going to have glasses or contact lenses and their world will just become augmented. So I'll start with virtual reality. So VR um, is really heading down the path that uh, the, the advantage that we've had with computers for the last 50 years. Uh, Moore's law. So Moore's law basically states that, so Gordon Moore, one of the, or the uh, founder of um, Intel, um, he observed in the 60s that you could double the number of transistors on a silicon chip roughly every 18 months. Effectively, what that means is you can double the power of computing and halve its cost pretty much every year or so, year to right. 18 months. Right. And, and that's why uh, when you look at coronavirus now compared to 10 years ago, if it had happened 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had this wonderful 
free video conferencing that we've been able to do. Everybody's doing Zoom meetings. They can work from home. That's all because of Moore's Law. And so um, displays are going to get far, far more... Uh, they're going to have far higher resolution. As displays have far higher resolution, you increase your field of view. Uh, the processes are going to be far more powerful. So that means you won't need to be tethered to a, a big expensive computer. Already we have um, untethered headsets like the Oculus Quest. Mm -hmm. They will become smaller, lighter, much more powerful. Uh, bandwidth with 5G, we're going to have bandwidth not unlimited bandwidth, but practically unlimited right. bandwidth to be able to stream things. Uh, of course, the computing power to recreate digital worlds will become far more powerful, etc. So I see virtual reality moving from um, expensive niche uh, solutions like the training solutions that we do today uh, or becoming far more um, ubiquitous yeah and yeah and and so you you want to learn how to you know i don't know uh use a whippersnipper in the garden and instead of going to youtube you'll just put on your vr headset and you'll actually pick up you know or you want to buy a, a different type of ride on lawnmower motorbike car instead of going to a dealer you'll just put on your vr headset you'll have you'll sit in your your chair and and you'll be in the car and you'll be able to drive it wherever you want to drive it. You're on a racetrack, down a specific highway, in your suburban street, etc. That will become commonplace and, and it'll affect the way that we do everything, the way that we connect, the way that we educate, the way that we transact, the way that we um, learn, etc. Augmented reality <clears throat> is also subject to Moore's Law, but there's there are a couple of physical, um, literally laws of physics issues that we have with the way that our eyes work and the way that we see objects in space. And you've got all of the issues of how do you reduce the weight of a headset. If you look at the Magic Leap today or you, you look at the Microsoft HoloLens, they're big, bulky headsets. They're, mm -hmm. they're not just your standard eyeglasses. And that's just because of the way that we form displays today and that we have to project on the eye and with virtual reality i'm totally enclosed so i don't have to worry about light and shadow in the real world i don't have to worry about whether there's a, a sofa there or a table um, and to to figure out where to put my virtual objects and things so all of these things take computer power and computer processes need to become much, much smaller and much, much more powerful. And we need to be able to dissipate heat, you know, much better. And we need to be able to power them and we need to be able to connect them. So you need radio stacks and things. So AR, the, you know, the, the current word on the street is that Apple will probably come out with some kind of wearable augmented reality glasses, probably at the end of next year, 2021, I think when Apple come into the game, like when they came out with the iPhone and the iPad, it will totally change the industry. Uh, until then, we're kind of limited to handheld devices. Yeah. You know? um, and and the, one of the biggest limitations for both augmented and virtual reality is content. Somebody needs mm -hmm. to program the content, whether it's training, whether it's operations, whether it's um, purchasing, transacting, um, designing, 
you know, we, you we have to recreate. Already you, is. There's, okay. there's, there's plenty of open source um, opportunities. And, and again, think of this like making a movie. When you, when you make a movie, you know, you scout a location, you cast for, you, you, you do casting for your, your uh, talent, you've got to get your crew, you've got to make sets, you've got to do, and it's pretty much like that, right? We, we have to um, create assets, we have to do um, rigging, animating, yep. shading, etc. So, yep. yeah, it's, it's a fairly a complex process and there's a lot of content to, to create. It's just not the tech. It's just not working out the tech, the tech quirks. It's actually, you know, developing the library that is going to support the tech. So uh, I, yeah, and, I, and I can't wait. You know, for, for our company, even um, what I don't need is just a talented engineer. I need a talented engineer who also understands about training and pedagogy. Yeah. I need a talented engineer who also understands about training, pedagogy and business and understands, you know, being able to get business requirements. And, you know, one of the things that we often joke about in Achiever is that we, uh, if, if the company ever goes under, well, we can all drive cranes now and we can make pop and we can <laughs> exactly. fry chicken because exactly. in the building of the software, we've, we've just learned these skills. Yeah. You, know. yeah, you need to do like, like jet simulation, you know, that's it, probably more lucrative than, than frying chicken at, at Kentucky fried chicken or something like that. But I I, I'm really curious. A couple of hundred thousand people that fry chicken at Kentucky. That's exactly right. Exactly right. I'm uh, I'm curious just with the you know with the current pandemic, you know, I I can almost see like you know there's there's always sometimes blessings in the skies, you know, of of these difficult moments and I can I can almost see that there's a possibility that the demand for your services would go up because of of something like this, you know, on on the backside yeah. of this, but Kind of if, if we've got founders that are listening to this that are you know, running businesses and they're you know they're struggling you know through this kind of as a as a founder yourself kind of speak to them and maybe give them just one or two quick points about you know how how they can kind of leverage this this difficult time a little bit and just just speak to them as if as if you're kind of giving them like almost like a hopeful hint you know of, of, of tips to kind of lead your team well through difficult times? So the, the first one would be technology. And I, I would have really imagined that the vast majority, if not all of startup founders are already cloud native. So being able to work from home rather than co-locating in some kind of accelerator office, et cetera, um, from a technology perspective, they can probably already do that. Yeah, we as as a company, we've we've done that from the get go. We've been working from home in a distributed fashion for three years already. So, so for us, when coronavirus hit and everybody was like, "I have to work at home," um, well, we already did that. And the, the the technology is obviously only a very small part of being able to do that. Um, the biggest part is really culture and discipline, I guess. When you're used to all of your programmers or your engineers <clears throat> or your engineers and your design staff being in the, same, in the same office, it's very easy for them to just go and jump in front of a whiteboard and 
and rough something out mm-hmm. or to have a stand up in the morning and have a, a, you know, a physical or even a digital board where you can shift tasks a- across. We, we've been doing this, as I say, for some time. And um, one of the things that we do is religiously, we have a stand up every morning at 10.15 that caters for time zones. So that all of our engineers, no matter whether they live in Chile, as uh, Animator does, or Malaysia, or um, uh, the US, or anywhere around Southeast Asia or Australia, uh, can we, we meet every morning. It's like a normal stand-up that we, you know, we just do it over Zoom. We actually are testing out virtual reality meeting applications now as well. So we can put multiple people into a physical space with whiteboards and things in a virtual space. Um, so the, uh, I guess the, the culture comes down to firstly is, is the discipline. Um, so keep your standups. So keep having that, make sure that you're using a digital tool that everybody can share so that you've got information radiation. That, that would be the second tip is, Um, Just be transparent, be authentic. If you're going to struggle to pay people, um, have that conversation with them. Most people in a company, startup or not, uh, respond negatively to no information and positively to bad information. So now is not the time to be wearing all of the stress on yourself. How am I going to make payroll? Now is the time to go, we know what the situation is. Here's how we attempt to deal with it it might be delayed there there's this government assistance or there isn't government assistance whatever it is but have that conversation have that information radiation not only for your technology that you're designing but also for actually what's happening the in the as well yeah <clears throat> and then um i i just have a very small um i guess trick that i learned when i was a manager in microsoft and that's just to start every meeting with um, a two-sentence check-in. So everybody does a, what's top of mind for me professionally? What's top of mind for me personally? And what that does is it it does a bunch of things. Um, I actually wrote a blog post about this. But uh, the first thing and the most important thing is it it makes everybody present in the meeting with 100% focus because they've had the opportunity to (laughs) basically air what is taking up their bandwidth and the brain. And, and now that's parked until after the meeting. So everybody's engaged. It also makes the start of the meeting very snappy because you're only allowed two sentences, no oversharing allowed. Um, it also brings out the quiet people who wouldn't usually be sharing what's ailing them. Um, because again, it's two sentences. Yeah. Everybody gets to do two sentences. Um, and as a, as a leader for yourself, it allows you to, to understand where people are, where their focus is, because where your focus is, there your energy flows. So if somebody's really, really worried about something at work, um, then, you know, it's good to know that rather than just starting the meeting with your agenda and getting what you want to just quick check in every meeting, just what's top of mind, you know, professionally and personally. So I I appreciate the way you kind of wrapped that this up today with, uh, you know, just really some very, pragmatic and you know practical tips you know for those that that i mean these you put these into play tomorrow i mean if you're a founder i mean you could you could literally put these tips in into your practice and procedures tomorrow but 
Um, Roger, is there anything that just really quick you want to want to uh, mention to, to wrap us up today and then just tell people where the best place to find you online? Sure. Um, yeah, <clears throat> for me, I think it is a, a real temptation to think that things are going to go back to exactly how they were before coronavirus. And I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think that many, many organizations, if they survive, for those that survive, are going to come up with, with, the, with very real questions about, hang on, if 80% of my work, staff can work from home, why am I paying so much for an office? Why am I forcing people to commute? Um, you know, and, and even more nuanced, this person was really instrumental in making sure that everybody was working together and, and so maybe they can have a different role or a slightly different aspect to their role. And, and the, the smart leaders and the smart managers are going to be thinking about those yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and so, sure. so as a startup founder, uh, think about what is this future world going to look like? when more people are working from home, when more people are, you know, and, and everything for, for us, it's things like um, health and safety policies, yep. ergonomic setups, yep. um, technology help. This is where there is going to be huge amounts of opportunity. Right. It's an endless and, list. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, for, for even for, the, for us, for the physical businesses, things like operations don't stop. Manufacturing is not going to stop. Compliance regulations don't go away. People still need to be assessed. So we're, scrambling is probably not the right word, but we're certainly pivoting to being able to provide um, augmented and virtual reality solutions so that companies don't need to have a physical assessor be flown out to all of their workers. So that companies can still do their physical compliance assessments even though people are at home at yeah. the moment. Yeah. In terms of getting hold of us, um, Achiever, spelt without the last E, so A-C-H-I-E-V-R dot I-O, um, or go to our, our LinkedIn company page. Um, yeah, that's how you get hold of us. You can get hold of me on the interwebs as Rog42. Just do a search for R-O-G42, and you'll find my blog, and you'll find my LinkedIn site, and my Facebook site, and Twitter and Instagram. So and some trail of the last 40 years of his life will be will be there in the interwebs. So scattered in a digital format. Maybe a motorcycle picture or two somewhere in that in that list. But one or two. One yeah, or two, I'm good. sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, Roger, thank you so much for just taking the time today. It's it's been a great, great kind of journey through the almost like a virtual world, you know, through through our podcast today and, and an augmented world for sure. But I just really appreciate you taking the time and just really sharing with our, our listeners, you know, your background and kind of where things are headed and, and really kind of how to drill down well and, and lead well in a, in a difficult time that we're all facing during this, this pandemic. But just thank you again for just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Roger, have a great day. Thanks very much, Kevin. Uh, you're very welcome. And it's been an honor for me to be here. I just want to acknowledge the work that you're doing by just lifting the voice of startup founders, especially in Australia. So thank you. Well, very, I appreciate very it. It's, it's an honor to do that. And, and uh, certainly a lifelong passion. So Roger, thanks again. Take care. Awesome. Okay. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.